Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Amen. That's who we're worshiping today. I know that's a, a passage traditional of Christmas, but the truth is, is that who that is who Jesus is. That's who we're worshiping today. Lord, thank you that we get to worship your great name. Thank you that you created music so we could do it. Thank you for people that could put words together in a way that maybe we couldn't individually so that we could sing them about your greatness. And we do worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to take a moment and greet each other in just a moment here. If you are a guest with us, one of the things you could do to really help us is to be able to complete our, um, our, our Connect card, which is in the seat back in front of you. If you could do that, and then when you leave today, bring it uh, to our guest services table. They have a gift for you, and it'll help us to be able to thank you formally. We appreciate you being here. So whether you're a guest or you've been here your whole life, let's take a few minutes and just greet each other today. God bless you guys. All right. Hope you enjoyed seeing each other this morning. God bless you guys as you're seated. We are going to ask our ushers to prepare, and we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering. So if you're talking to an usher, just say, go do your job, man. Get over there. So we're going to, we're going to pray, and uh, a little bit later on in, in, uh, during our announcements, we're going to show one of, our, one of our giving opportunities that's coming up for Thanksgiving. We'll show that video a little bit later. But a convoy of hope, one day to feed the world's coming up, it's just as a reminder. But again, this is our opportunity to be able to give and to worship God in a very heart, heartfelt, uh, grassroots type way. So Lord, thank you that we get to give and worship you this way. Lord, there's all kinds of different ways that we worship you. This is significant because it really gets to the root of, of our love, our devotion. And so as we give to you today, we do it with a grateful heart. We do it with a heart that uh, recognizes that you are the owner of everything. In Jesus' name, amen.
worship team for your ministry to us this morning. We really, really appreciate it. Hey, we have a couple of quick video clips about some upcoming things. Let me do those first before I do some of the other announcements. Uh, first of all, we have our One Day to Feed the World, uh, which is going to be happening real soon. And uh, so check out this video from Convoy of Hope, which we'll talk about that a little more. The greatest gifts in life are the ones we don't even realize we've been given. The resources to provide. The confidence in supply. The belief for enough. The power of a meal is often underestimated, but should never be overlooked. For decades, Convoy of Hope has been giving hope through agriculture initiatives, disaster relief, women's empowerment, children's feeding programs, and more. And One Day to Feed the World helps make this possible. The security that comes with a guaranteed meal can ignite the belief in and practical path to a better life. Please partner with us as we continue bringing other children and families to the table. Offering is going to be coming up around Thanksgiving, so make sure you're aware of that, prepare for that. And just the whole idea of One Day to Feed the World is to average out and figure what do you make in a day, in a day. Some of you work five days a week, some six, um, but what do you make in a day and give that as an offering uh, toward uh, Convoy of Hope. Our second video is a new study that's coming up on Wednesday nights beginning this week called Finding Truth. And the presenter on that is Francis Chan. Let's check out this video as well. We've all been lied to. What is absolutely true? We live in a time when everyone wants to tweet their thoughts, their feelings. That is a joke. And God specifically says, the way you think, that's not the same way I think. My friends, they would take things completely out of context. In the Bible, they'd take a specific story and just be like, well, here's this. How do you believe that? My teacher, he was really strong on the Bible not being able to be proven. I started to think, okay, well, maybe I have all the answers. Me and the Lord, we kind of butted heads in a way of like, I really struggled with pride, just really thinking I was above everybody. I just didn't make God my priority. Not necessarily that I didn't want God, I just didn't want to put the work in to know God. Everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's got this human perspective on things. But the Bible says that's going to get you into trouble. There is truth, but truth comes from the Creator Himself. God says, I spoke this world into existence. Whose thoughts are you going to trust? You're going to find truth from all these other people? You're going to find truth from inside? Or are you going to look to me? And again, that study begins this Wednesday night. You will not, you will not want to miss that. So take advantage of those opportunities. Plus, as you come, there's all kinds of ministry for your uh, kids of all ages. So God bless you guys, and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday night for that. Uh, hey, a couple other announcements really quick. Uh, we have some things happening. Cherry Crest Farm, November 5th for the Young Adults Group. They're heading out. And uh, don't forget, this is every pastor's like go-to announcement here. Turn your clocks back on November on November fifth. You got that before you go to bed. Even though it, it's really irrelevant anymore because our we, these are our alarms and they turn back anyways. But make sure you turn your clock back in your car, in your kitchen, whatever, whatever. But that's coming up really, uh, really quick as well. And then lastly, we have our. This is the, really the final day of ordering your subs. Now these are not normal subs. These are like. Uh, if you've ever gone overseas and you have chicken, it's a lot smaller. The chickens are smaller. You have chickens here, and they're, on, they're just massive. See, normal subs are what you get out there. The subs you will get from us are tremendously packed with goodness, turkey, ham, Italian subs. The speedy, which we're getting a lot, the speedy sub, which is the cranberry sauce, the, well, the turkey, the stuffing, the cranberry sauce, the, the, that is trending. So we've got, we've got a big-time push for Speedies. So if you have not ordered a sub to support Speed the Light, please do that today. For those of you that have, thank you so very much. And uh, we just, we're excited to be able to serve those guys to you. On the 6th is when we'll deliver them, but you need to order them today. God bless you. <laughs> so, hey, listen. 
Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, and the verses will go up on the screen eventually. Um, but today we're going to be talking about husbands and wives this morning. The joys and trials of married life. Married life. Now, you know, I did a whole married series starting last this, this year, May, May and June. Uh, this will not be a repeat. Um, I think I even have different jokes. Um, <laughs> but as I do begin, let me just say, and let's get it, let's just get it out there because we know that we know this, but it's got to be reaffirmed that there are differences between men and women. And I love the differences most of the time. And as, you know, I don't know, as much as I might think, there are times when I really do think, I don't want to say wish, I think that I'd like my wife to be more like me. And then I realize that if that were so, she'd probably drive me crazy. Because <laughs> I know that I drive her crazy. And I think sometimes I even drive myself crazy. So I'm glad for the differences. I'm glad that I didn't marry someone exactly like myself. And I, and I believe that we should enjoy these differences. God has made us who we are. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he repeats it. It's repeated in just a, slightly, a slight variation. And it says, male and female, he created them. Okay, again, it said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Then it says, male and female, he created them. And you read a passage like that one, and you have to come away believing that God knew exactly what he was doing and that he was, he was extremely deliberate in this act of creation. In other words, the creation of woman was not an afterthought. That's the point I'm trying to make. The creation of man and woman, husband and wife, was definitely a two-step process. But in the mind of God, his complete image is given to his creation through both the male and the female. And I want us to read together from Genesis 2, verse, begin at verse 18 through verse 25. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered about these, why there's these two accounts, but Genesis 1.27 showed us that God created both man and woman in his image. Man and woman, though different, were created in his image. And in Genesis 2.18, it almost looks as though God created the woman later because he forgot to mold them at the same time. And of course, even that thought is absurd, as we just read. Would you like to know why God allowed Adam to be just slightly lonely for a while. I mean, according to me. <laughs> I'm convinced that God did it on purpose. I really am. I mean, he could have created them both at the same time. But he created Adam, as we read. He, and he created the animal, and he allowed, he allowed Adam to name all the animals, and he looked at them, and twice in that passage we read, it said there was no suitable helper found among those animals. Nothing. There was nothing there. And I believe that by design, God wanted Adam to have without no doubt, without any doubt at all, he wanted Adam to consciously acknowledge his need for a perfect helpmate. Realizing that nothing in creation existed up until that point. And Genesis 2.20 says it all. Adam named all the animals, but no suitable helper was found. Basically, there was nothing there that could do it. There was nothing, nothing created that could do it. No one could take her place. 
And I suppose that if more married couples knew this, really understood this, they would not be so quick to pull away from one another because we need each other in spite of our differences or maybe because of our differences. Now, I want to include a disclaimer right now before going any further in this message. I want everyone to know that married life is not for everyone. And you know what? Even God's word tells us that. The Bible makes it clear. But for those who are married or who want to get married, I want you to pay attention today. Please, Nick and Megan. <laughs> it always happens. I th- you know, it happened in May and June. You know, so. And they're on the front row, okay? But fellas, have you ever noticed how when your wife wants to get your attention, have you ever, she wants you specifically to pay attention to something that I'm saying? Where does she usually poke you? Right? In the ribs, symbolically in the ribs. Could there be some significance? The rib is poking your ribs. Anyways, listen to this one truth. We're different. We're very different. We look different. We dress differently. We act differently. We even speak different languages, men and women. We are so different. I want to give an example of the potential for problems because of the differences. I mean, we, we know we speak different languages. When he says, boy, am I hungry, what he really means is, would you make me something to eat and serve it to me here on the couch? When he says it's too expensive, what he really means is, you know, you can get a neat laptop for that amount of money. When he says, I have a surprise, he really means, I bought something stupid. When he says you can't mow the lawn when the grass is wet, what he really means is there's a good game on the TV right now. And then when she says, sure, go ahead, she really means, I don't want you to do that. When she says, do what you want, she really means you'll pay for this later. When she says, I don't want to talk about it, what she really means is, go away, I'm still building up steam. When she says, you have to learn to communicate, what she really means is, just agree with me. And when she says, are you listening, she really means, you're dead already. So anyways, we're we're ready to read our text for this morning, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And all the ladies said, ouch. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In Ephesians 6, verse 1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. In verse 4 of Ephesians 6, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, did you notice, I, I didn't begin where your Bible probably started a new paragraph, verse 22. I went over to verse 21. And I also did not end at the end of chapter 5, but went into chapter 6 to the fourth verse. And, and that's all fine. The reason I did that is because all the chapters and all the little numbers and you have, in your, they're all arbitrary. It's just so that we can quickly and speedily get to a place in Scripture. You know, remember that these, these were letters that Paul had written to the early church. And when he wrote it, it was in letter form. He didn't put chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2. Those things scholars did later on. And they decided where thoughts ended and began. And of course, that's called a paragraph. But I believe we need the whole context here. 
And so although these notations have been added over the years, we're really looking at a letter. And, and how, many, how many of you, when you get, I don't know if anybody even sends letters anymore. We've got texting and emails. But if you ever got snail mail and someone wrote you a letter, did you ever open the letter and just read one paragraph today? And then tomorrow read another paragraph? You know, and that's, that's what we tend to do with the Bible. We'll read chapter 1 today, chapter 2 tomorrow. We'll get through the Bible in a year. Actually, that pace will get through the Bible in about 10 years. But we read a letter in its entirety. So when this letter was sent by Paul to the Ephesians, it was read as one complete manuscript. We wouldn't read it as chapters and verses. And so what I see here in this letter of Ephesians, the entire letter from chapter 1 through chapter 6, which we'll, do in a, we'll get there in a couple weeks, what I see here is one consistent thought. Husbands, wives, children. And there's a concern here for how the family is to relate to one another. This is the theme of this set of verses within this entire letter that Paul had written to the Ephesians. And I want you to understand the theme for this fifth chapter is all about family. Two weeks ago, I, I had exhorted you from out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We looked at the first half of this chapter. And, and in that first verse, we're exhorted to be imitators of God by doing two things. Be imitators of God, Paul said. First, by loving others as Christ loved us. That's how we imitate God. Secondly, by being pure and holy, because God is holy. And that is yet the remaining overarching theme of these final verses that we read out of chapter 5 and chapter 6. And when you really think about it, what better proving ground could there be to test such things as love and purity and holiness than within the parameters of the family? That's an excellent proving ground. Can you see how well these verses all fit together? The first half of chapter 5 as well as the last half. And so what Paul is going to say in his address to spouses and to children is a continuation of his thoughts in the first half of chapter 5 concerning love and purity and holiness. So what I'm saying is this, okay? Consider this. Our personal, our public persona, our public life, how we look in public, and our personal and private life don't always match up. In the public arena, we can put on quite a show. As a pastor, I've seen it over the years in three churches. And so we need to remember that who we really are is best demonstrated by who we are at home. Around those who know us best, right? Those people really know you. And we may appear to be loving here at church. We may appear to be a truly caring individual. People may think the world of you. But what about at home? You know, it's so easy to look like Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful out here. And yet take for granted the very ones whom we're to love the most, those who need us the most, and those who know us the best. Sometimes it can be a completely different picture. And that's why Paul, by the inspiration and the unction of the Holy Spirit, he gives us his further instruction on how to love and who to love and with whom to desire purity. And I especially like the way that he begins in verse 21. Again, I had us begin in verse 21, not 22, where Paul says, submit to one another, submit to one another. And submit to one another, not because you feel like it, because we don't always feel like it, not because you love each other, but he tells us to submit to one another, and he's talking about in the home, but this applies to all of life. He tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. We are to display our respect for Jesus Christ by submitting to each other first as husband and wife. That's why you should, that's why you should submit to your spouse. Out of reverence, out of a holy awe, out of a love and devotion for Jesus Christ. You know, you show me an unsubmissive wife and I'll show you a woman who has no respect for Christ. Based on that verse. Likewise, you show me a proud and unsubmissive husband, I'll show you a man who has no respect at all for his God. 
Because the truth be told, if we really love Jesus, then we're going to be willing to submit ourselves to our spouses. There's a connection between our love for God and our love for others. And we're told this specifically in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says this, 1 John 4, 20. If I say that I love God, whom I have not seen, but hate my brother, whom I have seen, then I'm a, I'm a liar, and the truth simply cannot be in me. So this passage begins with mutual submission, mutual submission. And then there, there are two unique commands given, one to the man, one to the woman. In verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your husband. And verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives. And what we see here is God's specific design. The husband is to be the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head over his church. Understanding that the head does tell the body where we're going. And then the head travels along with the body when it does go. And you've heard this one before. A guy was boasting to his buddies at a, at a church social. I'm the head of my family. And then his wife happened to pass by and she heard it. And so she added, I'm the neck that turns that head. So let me say something here. My wife and I have had an agreement for 44 years. We were married 44 years, September 30th. And basically what we've agreed is that whenever we might get into an argument, me being the man, uh, I'm going to take the lead on this, I'd go outside and cool off a bit. And we found that outdoor living is good for me. In fact, I think there's room for a new slogan for Royal Ranger recruitment. Save your marriage, join Rangers. Learn to camp, enjoy the great outdoors. We've got district powwow, we've got regional events, we've got sexual events. I mean, there's plenty of camping opportunities. Save your marriage. But verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And I don't know if you noticed, too, as we read that, I read it kind of fast. And if you read it on the big screen, you may not even have noticed. But the paragraph addressed to husbands is twice as long as the one addressed to wives. I don't know what that's about. And if you notice, too, the very thing that's required, that's expected of each spouse, is oftentimes the hardest thing to give. I mean, I'll just put this in the vernacular. Some husbands are hard to respect. Yikes. And you know what? Some wives... Hard to love. And yet nowhere in these verses is submission or love contingent upon the respectability or the loveliness of the other spouse. That's not a criteria. We don't submit because they're lovely. We don't submit because they're respectable. These are given here as commands, folks. And therefore, they have nothing at all to do with what might come natural in our desires or human inclination. When your spouse is not respectable, you're still commanded to submit. When your spouse is not lovable, you're still commanded to love them. And that's where some Christian households get locked into a stalemate as each spouse waits for the other one to live up to their part of the bargain first before they fulfill their part. I mean, each one's just going to sit back determined not to meet the obligation of the other one until the other one has initiated some action towards their own needs. And you realize that it's just, it's just a cycle that's never going to end. If she's not going to submit, then I'm not going to love. If, if he's not going to love me, then I'm not going to submit. And the cycle just never ends until someone is willing to initiate mutual submission. And that begins with unilateral submission. Until someone's willing to risk, until someone's willing to be humble enough, until someone's willing to be gentle and submissive enough to risk humiliation and possibly rejection. You see, in order for this to work, all pride has to go. And only then can the relationship move forward. And in that kind of situation, the question remains, okay, somebody's going to have to take the risk. Well, who's it going to be? Who's supposed to take the risk? Is it the husband because he's the head of the, head of the, head of the, head of the wife? Is it to be the wife because she is to respect 
her husband? And here's what I found. I'm going to the Gospels, but this is Matthew chapter 5. In fact, both references are out of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Listen to this. Uh, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're, you're offering something to God. And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and give your gift. Okay? So in other words, if, there, if there's something wrong with a relationship, stop what you're doing and go make it right. Okay? It says here that if I've sinned against another, then it's, it's me that has to take the initiative. If I've wronged another, I'm to take the initiative. I'm to make the first move. If I've wronged someone, I take the first move. Then Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother open, over. Now this one is just the opposite. If your brother, if our brother sins against us, we're also to go to them. If I sin against them, I'm to go to them. If they sin against me, I'm to go to them. Again, in both situations, to make the relationship right, I have to take the initiative. It's interesting. Either way, Jesus puts the responsibility upon us, not the other person. Always upon us. Whether we're the guilty and offending party or the offended party, the victim, we're still instructed to take the initiative towards reconciliation. And so now, whether it be in marriage, in our families, in, in, in our fellowship, in our, de- our desire should always be that of love and purity because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, We're indebted to others. Because of everything he's done for us, we're indebted to others. And remember this, Ephesians chapter 5. Why are we to live a life of love and purity? Why? Because it's easy? Because it's possible? No, we're to live a life of love and purity out of reverence for Christ. So going back to Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another. And speaking specifically about husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you love Jesus, if you are sincerely devoted to Jesus, then you're going to submit to one another. And you don't wait for the other partner to make the first move. The imposition is upon us. And you know the reality is, and you know, you know human nature, right? Because you've been a human for a while. Right? You, you, not one of us is perfect. Not even one amen. Really? Was that that humbling? Did you really come in this morning thinking you were perfect? Or pretty close. Seriously. Yeah, we've, we all have a long way to go. And we're going to disappoint one another. Now, in marriage, but also in our Christian fellowship. Amen? Coaches. We're going to disappoint one another from time to time. We may go beyond disappointment. We may hurt one another. And one time or the other. Jesus made it clear in Matthew, if you've offended your brother, go talk to him. Then he said, if your brother's offended you, go talk to him. My concern this morning is not just for our fellowship as the body of Christ, but specifically for husbands and wives. And I've got to end with Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Isn't that simple? I mean, simple to remember, but we can make it reality. Every one of our marriages should be strong as we learn to submit to one another. It's a challenge, but we can do it. Amen. Amen. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to submit ourselves to one another within our marriages. 
And Lord, I realize that because your word says so, it's because we're to do it out of reverence for you. And so, friends, we don't, we don't need to have an altar time here this morning. We're going to do this right where you're seated. We need to submit ourselves to Jesus first. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't explicitly stated, but I believe that it's implied. I don't think we can submit to one another unless we have first humbled ourselves and submitted ourselves to Jesus. And then he empowers us. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, we want to have a holy awe of who you are. We want to have a proper reverence for all that you are in our lives. You've done so much for us. Not only rescuing us from an eternity in hell. Lord, making a way for us to, to live with you in heaven forever. But God, you have done so much for us day in and day out. You've led us. You've provided success. You've provided blessing. Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. And we acknowledge that right now. And we hold you in high reverence. You are, you are preeminent, Jesus. You're before all things. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, as, as we decide right now just to give ourselves to you, just to submit ourselves to you, that that in turn would help us as married people, those that are married here, to submit ourselves one to another, to offer ourselves to our spouse. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this time together this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, we would be in this, in, in what we've heard today, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers only. And Father, I pray now that your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. God bless you.